My name is John Chafee. I was trained as a pastor and this is one of the ways in which I try to do something good with that education. This is Begin Again. So if you are looking for a nuanced or interesting take on the Jesus tradition and all of its wisdom and all of its perplexity and mystery, then you found the right place. I sincerely hope that this helps you to rethink some things, to maybe grow in your own way for health and holiness, for your benefit and for the benefit of those around you. So again, welcome to Begin Again. All right, so I'm excited for this one. Well, perhaps maybe excited isn't the right word. I have pre-workout in me. <laughs> I was planning on going to the gym by this point of the day and that ended up not happening like how I thought. And so now it's as though I have three cups of coffee in me. So if I seem jittery, that's the reason. It's a, a part of the human experience to have to pivot partway through your day, you know? So anyways, I'm excited for this one. This one's called, Your Work Is Not Their Work and Their Work Is Not Yours. And uh, I wanna talk about some of the things that are pretty common that we all do. And I would like to do it in this order, okay? I want to tell you a story of something that happened to me, my gosh, almost 10 years ago, okay? And then we're going to read something from the Gospel of Luke then we're going to talk about some of these common mistakes that we all make. And then we're going to wrap it up by reading a little bit more from the Gospel of Luke. Okay? So thank you for listening to this. Uh, again, if you haven't had the chance, go to my website, johnchafee.com. I just made some minor tweaks to it. And if you haven't yet, I'd encourage signing up for that email list. There's some good stuff in there, and it's all for free. Okay, so let's dive into this. This is a story that happened to me ser quite seriously about 10 years ago, okay? I was working at a church as the youth director, and I was, I came on to staff not knowing that the senior pastor at the time was wildly unhealthy, wildly unhealthy and was giving into being manipulative and he would triangulate people and he would we would be sitting there as a staff sometimes two of us and we'd be sitting there and talking about the work culture and he would just walk right in and sit down right in the middle of the conversation back like, what are you guys talking about like what is happening right now it's almost as though he had a, an, a radar for every single time people were starting to think critically about the workplace. So I would be brought into the office and there'd be these alone one-on-one -on -one conversations where I would just be uh, berated and made to feel as though I was a failure. I was being told I was a failure by the senior pastor and not doing things right while also having what I was told was the most successful youth group in town. <laughs> there is so much going on. And uh, one time I was 
fed up with it. So I, I kind of started on the down low reading some books about leadership and I started reading some books about having good boundaries. There's this great book called How Wait, Speaking the Truth in Love, How to Be an Assertive Christian. And it was all about being uh, passive or aggressive or passive aggressive, but then saying, I don't, I don't want to give in to any one of those three. And so instead, I will choose to be assertive. It was a great book. I love that one. And I still recommend that one to people. However, as I started working on myself, I started uh, getting more autonomy and having more of a voice. So much so that one time I stood up to the senior pastor at that time, about 10 years ago, and said, I do not want to have any more of these conversations. I said, you're grading me against a job description that does not exist. And so I said, I request a job description, <laughs> which should have told you something already that there weren't job descriptions in that culture, you know? And anyways, uh, he kind of brushed it off, but I went to my elder at the time and I said, I need a job description. I'm getting berated by the senior pastor. And, and this guy was a very kind guy. He was very surprised. But the next day he emailed the senior pastor and the senior pastor came over to my office, huffing and puffing and yelling saying, we don't do job descriptions here. And he came over and slammed my door on me. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, looking back, like, I had no idea what was really going on at the time. Clearly, he was imploding because he was losing control and was trying to micromanage everything around him. And clearly, absolutely hated any form of being held accountable. And I eventually found out why. But... It was interesting because I gained some skills as a result of working in that very unhealthy workplace. And it took time to untangle from all of it. But um, you know what actually helped me survive was doing some of my own reading on leadership and healthy boundaries and learning those vocabularies so that I could then develop some skills that I could use later on in life, you know, and perhaps not fall into the same type of situations, uh, at least not as easily, right? So anyways, that was about 10 years ago. And I, I hold on to that memory, because it kind of showed something to me, that uh, there's this old adage proverb, I guess you could say, that says, the only people that will be angry with you for setting boundaries are the people that benefit most from you not having any. Ooh, let me say it again. The only people that will be angry with you for setting boundaries are those that benefit from you not having any. And man, I'll be honest, I've come back to that rather often quite seriously. When you try to set boundaries and someone else gets angry about it or or tries to side skirt it or rationalize breaking your boundaries, it's because they benefit from you not 
having boundaries. And so to protect your own dignity and sense of self and who you are, it's going to infuriate them that you stopped playing their game. <laughs> okay, so that's the story. But I wanted to bring it back to this strange passage that happens in Luke's gospel. And Luke is one of the later gospels. We think Mark was written first, and then maybe Matthew just before Luke by a little bit, uh, potentially. And there's this strange passage in chapter 13, where it goes like this. Uh, at the very time, at that very time, there were some present who told him, Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So there was some racism and, and bad things happening. He asked them, Jesus asked uh, those that were present, do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent you will all perish as they did. And then he goes into some local news. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No. I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Okay. Now this may not seem as though it's an obvious connect. But there's something fascinating going on here because the people that are present are coming up to Jesus and they kind of want to know the question, where does the fault lie? Who made the mistakes here? Was it those Galileans? Was it the people who had a tower fall on them because of some structural mistake? And Jesus does something interesting is that he redirects all of their attention because we're very prone, right, to focus outwardly. Not recognizing the simple thing that uh, we actually should be focusing inward in a healthy way. Because Jesus redirects the whole conversation. It's not about did those people not repent or whatever. It doesn't matter. You need to repent. Now, hold on. That word repent has got so much baggage to it. So I'm going to rephrase it, okay? Some people uh, translate this passage as if to say repent or perish. What I'm going to rephrase it as is turn around, reconsider everything, or else it will be your downfall. Again, turn around, reconsider everything, or else it will be your downfall. And what's so fascinating about Jesus is that he seems to keep redirecting towards personal responsibility for situations. It doesn't matter what other people are doing. What matters is what you're doing. You know? And so flash back 10 years ago, when I was dealing with that very unhealthy person, I could have focused on all the things that they needed to change. And I could have dwelled into that at the expense of actually doing my own self-work and reading up on leadership and boundaries, 
You see what I mean? Because you can't change someone else, but you can change how you relate to them. And so these people that are gathered around Jesus, they might have a tone of saying, how, can, how could they have been different? How can they change? Should we have changed them? And Jesus is saying, no, change yourself. I think it's Ignatius of Loyola. He says, oh, cool. You want to change the whole, this is a paraphrase. <laughs> oh, cool. You want to change the whole world? Change yourself first or all of it will be in vain. He had some good wisdom. But all this reminds me of, uh, there's this American guru type person. He was formerly a psychologist in Harvard, then was fired for doing tests on LSD because LSD was first coming around and they were just trying to be good scientists in some sense. But then he went to India after being fired and had some radical shifts in the way that he was thinking about the world. But anyways, he says this. This is Ram Dass. The only thing I can do for you is work on me. And the only thing you can do for me is for you to work on you. <laughs> it's so brilliant because here's a clinical psychologist actually making a commentary about having good boundaries. And actually, although he may not say it, it's actually a conversation about repentance. It's a, it's a conversation about turn yourself around. Reconsider everything. The only thing I can do for you is to work on me. And the only thing you can do for me is for you to work on you. Because here's the thing. We're, we're talking about doing self-work and, and improving yourself in some sense. But really we're talking about individual uh, teshuva. That's the Hebrew word for repent. We often make one of these two mistakes, okay? Either one, that their self-work, their repentance is our job. And that is a crossing of boundaries. You're taking on responsibility for someone else's life when actually they need to be having uh, accountability and responsibility for their own life. Their work is not your work but then also flip it around. And the second mistake we often make is thinking it's their work to do my work. So it's either a sense of, is it my responsibility to change other people? Is it their responsibility to change me? Or is it each of our own individual responsibilities to work on ourselves? You see what I mean? There's something healthy about this, about owning your own path, about owning your own journey, owning your own transformation, teshuva, repentance. The Greek word is metanoia. So here's the thing. Two thoughts. One, utterly give up taking responsibility or ownership for someone else cleaning up, growing up, waking up, or showing up. Just give up exhausting yourself for people that do not take responsibility or ownership for their own self-work. I think earlier on, uh, a while ago, I did a podcast about John chapter 5, where Jesus asks 
the paralytic, do you want to be well? Jesus himself has good boundaries. He doesn't bother trying to heal someone that doesn't want it yet. And so just give up taking responsibility for someone else's life. Yeah. But here's the the second thing. Also, give up assuming it's your mentor's job to make you clean up, grow up, wake up, or show up. So give up your anger that someone else isn't giving you what you think you need to grow. Okay, that's your responsibility for yourself to help yourself to grow, to change, to self-transform, to do self-work, to do this theological term called repentance, which we often associate with punishment, but it's, it has nothing to do with that. So we need to do uh, those two things. Just have good boundaries. To stop thinking it's our job to change other people and to stop thinking it's their job to change us. That is actually why so many people go running after one guru or another or another, after another program or another book or another series or another Bible study or another something because they're all hoping that those things or those teachers can change them. But that's got the whole thing backwards. Okay. So have you ever found yourself saying things like this? Can this person change me? Can this person save me? What about this person? Can this teaching, can this program, can this workout regimen, can this or that, can these things change me? If that's your thought process, you're already starting to muddy these waters. Or you could also um, say, ooh, I can change that person. And I can change that person. And I can teach that person. And I can give that person or that person a program that will change them. You know? But here's the thing. You can't change anyone and no one can change you. The only thing that can happen, the only thing that can happen is that another person can possibly create the space or hold the atmosphere of a season of your life for you to do your own self-work on yourself for yourself. Okay, it's not the same thing. They're not changing you. Instead, they're almost like they're cultivating the environment for you to then work on yourself. It's a form of hospitality in some sense. And you can do that for other people too, which is you can be a safe person who creates a safe environment for someone else to work on themselves if they so choose. I, think, I feel like I need to say that again, just because I need to hear it. <laughs> but also, I think it's really true. All you and I can ever be is a safe person who creates a safe environment for other people to work on themselves if they choose. That means without agenda, without expectation that they will, you just simply love people by being a safe person for them to maybe be willing to explore their own deep, dark emotions or trauma or issues or the ways that they're tangled up 
And in that sense, you're not making someone else repent. Instead, you are being like a gardener that simply gives them the opportunity to think for themselves and maybe ask questions to you if they want to. And this is where I think, um, this sounds strange, but I think some church cultures maybe miss the mark. Ha, miss the mark. Um, because it's one thing to say for a church or a, even a faith community of any sort to say, it's our job to change these people. It's our responsibility to change this town. Uh, I don't know if I like that because <laughs> your work is not their work and their work is not your work. But a faith community can be a safe space and environment for people to come and do their own self-work. That's a very different thing. Think about this. Have you ever had a conversation with someone and they were imposing on you that you needed to change to what they said you needed to be? How did that make you feel? What did that make you feel like? It's, it's terrible, right? It's absolutely terrible. And uh, you can probably feel the same frustration if you've ever tried to force someone else to change as well. Have you ever had a conversation with someone and you just get increasingly irritated that they're not changing, cleaning up, growing up, waking up, showing up, in whatever sense, according to your definition of those things? Well, that's something to consider. Because that frustration, that anger that you felt either having it imposed on you or trying to give it to other people, even if you say that they're doing it for love or you're doing it for love, that frustration is a pretty good marker that something is up, correct? So, what does it look like to be the type of person, okay, that is simply a safe person who creates a safe environment for someone to have the potential, for someone to have the opportunity to do their own self-work for themselves. And in, in a deep sense, as I said already, this is what hospitality actually is. In some sense, some people never turn their lives around and reconsider themselves because they don't have anyone who's safe and they have no safe environment in which they can thoughtfully reflect and maybe do their own self-work. Again, the only thing I can do for you is for me to work on me, for myself to become a safe, non-judgmental person. And the only thing that you can do for me is for you to work on you and become a self, uh, wait, uh, a safe, non-judgmental person who has good boundaries, you know? I mean, go ahead, check out that book, How to Be an Assertive Christian, Speaking the Truth in Love. I said it backwards, but yes. Don't, don't be passive, don't be aggressive, don't be passive-aggressive, just be assertive. Learn what good boundaries are. Reconsider everything in your life 
and ask, okay, if this part of my life does not have shalom, then I need to do some work. I'm not going to uh, berate or impose or get frustrated at other people because my life doesn't have shalom. Shalom is my responsibility. And shalom is your responsibility. And if we're being honest, <laughs> uh, unless you work on yourself, you could be living your life out of a lot of unresolved hurt, pain, and trauma that will invariably hurt other people if you live from that stuff unconsciously. And so actually, you can help other people by, get this, healing yourself, by repenting yourself, by turning yourself around, by being uh, someone that reconsiders the quality of your own shalom. <laughs> this is what it means to be spiritual. So many people think that to be spiritual is to sit with your eyes closed and pray and make requests. No, actually, I think being spiritual is rather gritty. I think it's a very deep engagement with your own uh, soil, with everything that's going on inside of you and cultivating and gardening your own soul by pulling out the weeds from the deep roots if need be and re-tilling the ground that is your own heart, mind, and soul. That's what real spiritual work is. It has nothing to do with an escape from this world. Actually, it has to do with getting your hands very dirty with your own uh, yeah, shit, you know, with your own manure, man. So let's read this other parable, okay, or this uh, other section from Luke's gospel. So I'm going to read the next uh, three verses. So I read Luke 13, 1 through 5. This is 6 through 9. If ever you're reading a passage of the Bible and you're curious what does this passage mean? Well, a, a helpful thing to do is then ask what happens just before or just, just after. Because what happens just before or just after may actually help to understand what's going on. So, let me read the whole thing again, just because. He asked them, this is starting in verse 2. Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? No. I tell you, unless you repent, you hear that? Unless you repent, turn around, reconsider everything, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 that were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you turn yourself around, reconsider everything, you will all perish just as they did. I imagine at this point, Jesus is talking to these people and they all have confused looks. So that's why he tells this parable. And then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, see here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree and I still found none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied. Sir, let it alone for one more year 
until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. If not, you can cut it down. Okay. So there's someone that owns a fig tree. It's not bearing fruit. And he's getting angry at it that it's not bearing fruit. And really, he does nothing about it except increase in his frustration that that person isn't changing or that that fig tree isn't producing the fruit it should. So here comes the gardener. And he tells the gardener to, to tear it out, to burn down the tree. And the gardener says, no, let's improve the environment around it. And of course, the gardener is smart. He knows that the fig tree is going to start bearing good fruit. It doesn't have a good environment. The soil all around it is maybe cheap. Maybe it's not doesn't have the what it needs, you know. So he says, I'm going to spread some uh, manure around it. I'm going to cultivate. I'm going to give some good soil to it. Because the gardener knows eventually this tree is going to bear good fruit. But so much is dependent on the environment. And that goes back to this earlier thought. The only thing I can do for you is for me to work on me. The only thing you can do for you is to work on you. And by doing that, each of us become safe environments for each other to do the necessary growth so that we can do this biblical thing called bearing good fruit. I really think um, one of the reasons why the world is such a tangled mess. It's because we just increase in frustration and anger at other people for not bearing the good fruit that we think that they should. Rather than asking ourselves, am I being a good and healthy and safe environment for other people? In what ways do I need to work on me so that I can stop obstructing other people from working on them. Oh, I love it. Let's say it again. How? Wait, <laughs> what did I say? <laughs> this is what makes this so good. Sometimes people email me or they send me a text saying that they listen to it and they feel like they're just sitting across the table having a conversation with me, which is true. I actually do imagine somebody sitting in the chair across from me one-to-one one. uh my goodness what did i say oh the only thing i can do for you is to work on me the only thing you can do for you is to work on you and by doing that each of us become safe persons for each other to do our own self work rather than getting in the way of each other doing our own self work and again that's how i'm going to choose at least in this instance to interpret that word repent. Repent does not mean to keep punishing yourself for doing the wrong things, for bearing bad fruit over and over and over and over. It's not about punishing. It's about retilling your own soil so that you can, I don't know, bear good fruit, have a good life, enjoy every moment of existence that you have to heal from your own past trauma and to be a safe environment for other people to do that healing necessary 
and holy self-work themselves. So I'm going to finish with a benediction right now. And I'm going to finish with a benediction that I would say at the end of every one of my college lectures. Uh, I just finished teaching Intro to Christian Spirituality, and I would finish with this. So here it is. May you be light and life and love to the people around you. May you heal the suffering that you see within yourself and within the world. And may the Christ shine grace and peace upon your path this day. We'll see you next time. Have a great week.